welcome back. It's episode 39 of The Build. The one that's being recorded while everybody is being traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, it's episode 39. That means we're in our Charlie Lindgren era. Our Mike Condon age. Our Cristobal UA moment. This is a pretty fun lineup of players that, that, that wore 39. UA was my first... Um, the first goaltender for the Canadians when I watched them. Um, I have one of those McFarlane figures of, of Huey on my desk. Um, he had a short, really short run with the Canadians that, as you know, looking back on it, I was surprised that he only played two complete seasons in Montreal and was traded midway through his third. Um, and it might have been longer had it been not been for a guy named Carey Price taking the net from him. Um, but like I said, parts of three seasons in Montreal for Huey being traded midway through the third season to Washington. Um, in his Canadians career, a 920 save percentage and a 253 goals against. Very solid, even for a time when most teams had a uh, had a 910 plus goaltender. Back then, save percentages were wildly high. Um, ooh, sorry. Um, again, like I thought he was around for a whole lot longer. Than he actually was. He only had seven full seasons in the NHL. Um, he did get a cup with Chicago, so good for UA. And then Mike Condon, his time in Montreal is like a fever dream looking back on it. Um, he stole the backup job from Dustin Tokarski, ultimately became the starter after Price got hurt. He had problems as a starter because he wasn't a starter. The team acquired Ben Scrivens to back up the backup, who is now the starter in Mike Condon. He plays in the Winter Classic. He loses his spot to Al Montoya the next season. He gets claimed on waivers. He plays one game in Pittsburgh. He goes to Ottawa. He backs up there for a few years. And uh, now it seems like his career's over. Um, and Lindgren, you know, for as tough of a time as it seemed to be in Montreal, he he's still holding down a backup role in the NHL. Um, with St. Louis last year and with, um, with the Washington Capitals this year. So good for him. Um, those are fun. I'm sure you're not here to listen to me remember some goalies, though. Um, so we'll get into our regularly scheduled programming. I'm trying not to check my phone throughout, but it's kind of difficult because, like I said, everyone's being traded at the moment. Um, as I hit record, um, Elliot Friedman tweeted that uh, Edmonton was working on a deal for Matthias Ekholm out of uh, Nashville, which will throw some of this outline completely out of the equation. Um, so we've got a bit to break down in this episode. Um, we have a trade to, to touch on for the Canadians, you know, as busy as it's been for the rest of the league, just one so far for Montreal. Um, we have our standard injury update as we, we, we tend to have every week now. Um, and a quick primer of the trade deadline. It's entirely possible that as the words leave my mouth, it, they are, uh, out of date. So, uh, apologies for that. It's just sort of an occupational hazard of doing any kind of recorded medium during this time. Um, as I was writing the outline, I had to I had to revise and move things around. So um, not not ideal, but it is what it is. Um, we'll start with the Dodonov trade. So on Sunday morning, while I slept because I sleep in every weekend because I have no self control, um, the Canadians and Stars finalized a trade. The Dallas Stars get forward Evgeny Dodonov with 50% of his salary being retained by Montreal. And the Canadians get forward Denis Gurionov. Um, you know, 
initial response from me was I couldn't believe that they managed to get someone to take Dodonov, um, given the season that he had in Montreal. Um, but we'll break this down into parts. I want to start with the financial implications first. With Montreal retaining 50% of the last year of his contract, which is which expires on July 1st, 2023, um, they are now only able to retain salary on two more deals before the end of the season. Um, as I'm sure you've seen going around, you can only have three retained salary spots on your roster. Um, there were some that thought that that, that meant, you know, buyouts count in that as well in which case the canadians would only have one left because they have carl alsner um under under a buyout still that's not the case retained salary transactions in trades are not the same thing as buyouts um so montreal has room to do two more of these kinds of deals before the end of the season and then next year they will get three more you know assuming that they don't retain on somebody who is contracted through the end of next season. Um, from a salary cap standpoint, Montreal actually loses about $400,000 in cap space. Um, because Dodonov's salary was $5 bucks, they retain half. So really, they subtract $2.5 million from what they, they currently had. Um, and then in Gurionov, they gain a $2.9 million cap hit. So the difference there being four hundred grand. Um, Gurionov is a restricted free agent at the end of the season. Cat Friendly has his qualifying offer at $2.9 million, so the odds of him becoming a more expensive player at the end of this season are pretty low, you know, considering the season that he has had, and that's who we'll, what we'll get into next. So who is Denis Gurionov? Um, like most, the first thing you probably see about him is that he was a former first-round pick, um, and a high one at that, a 12th overall pick by Dallas in 2015. Uh, he's six foot three, uh, 205, um, left-hand shot. In his first two seasons as an NHL regular, he was on a bit of an upward trajectory, um, and he's kind of been slowing down since um, the first year, 1920, 29 points in 64 games, so um, a 0.45 points per game in 2021. He had a th- he had 30 points in 55 games, so a 0.55 point per game pace. So in, in over an NHL regular 82 game NHL season, he would have been over 40 points at that pace. Um, and then in 21-22, he had 31 points in 73 games, so 0.42 points per game. So he was hovering around that 40 to 50, um, that, that 0.4 to 0.5 points per game mark. This season, his game's fallen off a cliff from a production standpoint. There's no, there's really no nice way of putting it. Um, he's got nine points in 43 games, good for a 0.21 points per game. Um, so what happened this season? Without knowing too much about, you know, the player itself um, or the Stars as a whole, I know the Stars are a playoff team. They'll, they'll likely make the playoffs. The West is not very strong, so that doesn't really say much about them. Um, but, you know, Denis Gurionov and the rest of the Stars did get a new head coach this season in Peter DeBoer, who has a history of not really being much of a player's coach. He gets results as far as, you know, wins and, you know, you know playoff berths, but... Oftentimes, he, he, his shelf life is rather low. Um, regardless of, and regardless of who that coach is, just a you know a young player having two really good seasons, three three really good seasons. You know, as a you know, I think the last one would have been his age twenty four um, season. To switch coaches in the middle of that can be pretty tough. Um, the player is starting to acclimate to a system. 
and under a coach and Rick Bonus, who the, you know is widely regarded as a players a player first coach, um, it it could be difficult. So there are there are reasons to believe that you know a change in scenery might benefit Dennis Gurianov. And you know you can also make the argument that the Canadians are acquiring one of the unluckier players in the NHL. He's third on the stars in shot attempts per sixty minutes. He's so he's the volume of attempts, volume. You know he's shooting. He's trying to shoot the puck a lot. Not all of them are obviously making it to the net, but his his shot attempts are very high. Um, he is, however, shooting at an abysmal two point nine percent. That's by far the lowest in his career. It's well below any kind of league average um, as far as forwards go. He's got the fifth lowest um, goals above expected on the stars with a minus 3.4. So, you know, he is he has about three goals fewer than he should have by this point in the season. Um, we talk about regression to the mean, and it typically has a negative connotation. We You know, we, we, we've heard it tons of times when, when, you know, folks are talking about Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, the, the, the rate at which they, they started this season. Um, you know, it's, They'll never be able to sustain that. They will regret. They will regress to the mean. You can also say that about someone like Denis Gurionov, who just because of the law of averages, he's eventually going to be brought back up to a point where his shooting is um, at a sustainably average level. Um, his regression to the mean would be an improvement, right? He's not going to shoot at two point nine percent forever, and some of that is, you know. Maybe he's not shooting from great opportunities, but some of it also is maybe he's just going to shoot a puck and it's going to beat a goalie. You know, maybe it's going to bounce off somebody and go in. Stuff that hadn't hasn't been happening for him to this point in the season. And you can make the same argument for Evgeny Dodonov. Um, you know, he had, I think I have it in my notes somewhere. He was shooting pretty low too. Um, I have it somewhere in here. One second. We'll find it when we get to that part of the outline, I suppose. So I'm cautiously optimistic about Guryanov hitting as like a third line, um, a third line winger. He's an energy kind of player who shoots the puck a ton. We've seen the word fast uh, attributed to him since he, since Montreal acquired him. Defensively, his metrics don't look all that strong, but that's not really a point of concern for this Canadians team who are trying to get Bedard. Um, the Stars trying to make the playoffs are a different story entirely. So them making this trade makes sense. They get a they get a more consistent, you know, bottom six forward to chip in. Let's see, let's see Marty St. Louis and Adam Nicholas get to work with him. Um, you know, maybe refine areas of his game, but most importantly, just like maybe he gets some shooting luck back. Um, and you know that sort of thing just makes him feel that much more confident. Um, let's look at this from an asset management standpoint, because I think that this is really important when analyzing this trade. Was this whole Dodonoff experience worth it? As a recap, um, Hughes steps in in the middle of the 21-22 season. He, in the offseason, well, the Canadians offseason, I'm pretty sure it was right before or during the Stanley Cup final. Um, he trades Shea Weber's contract to Vegas for Dodonoff. Um, Dodonov was a, a distressed asset in Vegas. They tried to deal him at the deadline, but his no trade clause blocked a move to the Ducks. Moving Weber gets the Canadians out of long-term injured reserve a bit. Price and Byron is still on there for the time being, giving them a ton of flexibility from a cap perspective. Um, 
and you know teams don't want to be in in long-term injured reserve they only they use it when they need to um so Dodonov comes over he has a year left the idea is that he's a trade ship at the deadline and to this end it seems like Montreal has succeeded they've created an asset out of Shea Weber's cap hit was the level of success what we had hoped and thought it would be no not not really at all um, like Gurionov, Dodonov has was really unlucky in Montreal. Here's that shooting percentage in my notes: five point nine percent shooting in Montreal, the lowest of his NHL career. Um, I thought Dodonov over his last like half dozen games or so, he was pretty good. He's moving quickly. Um, he's making a lot of plays. The puck just really wasn't going in all that often for him. And sure enough, he steps on the ice with his new team in Dallas and scores in his first game. Um, a pretty good move, too. He was going to the right, and he kind of just reached around a, a, the goalie and, and tucked in on the other side. So, like I mentioned, to turn Shea Weber and his, the you know, basically his cap hit into a 25-year-old forward with 20 goal potential. He did hit 20 goals once. It could happen again. That's why I say that. I'm not saying he's going to be a 20-goal scorer forever. Um, but he did it once. Maybe he can do it again. To get that kind of player under team control past this season is pretty, pretty good piece of business for, um, for Kent Hughes and company. Pierre LeBrun reported after the trade that the Canadians were looking for a third round pick for Dodonov. When that market wasn't there, they kind of pivoted, and they got Gurionov. It was also reported that there was a bit of a market for Gurionov as the Flyers and and Hurricanes were interested. Um, Using this value, if you were a playoff team, would you pay for, would you pay a third round pick for Gurionov? It's a bit steep, especially seeing some of the prices that we've seen um, over the last little while in the NHL. But it seems like it's a it's a reasonable bet. You're getting a player who you can then sign next year. Um, you know, I don't know that a playoff team would make this acquisition. This is very much a forward looking move, but that that value doesn't seem all that off. Um, so it seems to be, you know, that this is a change of scenery kind of move for, um, both players. Evgeny Dodonov, as much as he's a, um, a, a selling, you know, sort of rental, rental kind of player for Dallas, it is just sort of an, an, an understanding that like, it just didn't work out in Montreal and he's got another chance to, you know, prove himself. Uh, on a playoff run for a team that's going to be in the playoffs. Then Gurionov, he gets the rest of the year as like a, a a tryout. They're starting him on the first line with Nick Suzuki um, and Mike Hoffman for some reason. They split up that that trio at the top. Um, so it seems like you know we're going to see both of these players get a shot to make something else out of this season. Um, Dodonov's final line in Montreal, it's not all that great. 50 games, 4 goals, 14 assists, 18 points, a minus 10. Um, yeah, it was not, was not a strong showing for Dodonov. And honestly, like, I don't know how it could have been. You know, in retrospect, like, we, we, we hyped this up because it seemed like he'd be a 40-point kind of player. But they had him playing in the bottom six. Like, it was just not going to be a reality for him, unfortunately. I mean, they were using him as a penalty killer for a lot of this season, which is something he did not do coming into this this year. And he's been around the NHL for a long time. Um, 
So you remember we had a um a, a trade tier list. I haven't revisited that in a while because I think I think Ken Hughes has made one trade that I just didn't even place there because it was just so wildly insignificant. It felt silly to rank it. Um, but let's place this one in a trade tier, and then you know after the trade deadline, you know I I want to go back and revisit the tier list because I don't think that um I don't think that some of the things there are in the right places, you know, after seeing how this season has played out. So that's next week. But for now, I'll place this in the trade tier list. It's It feels like a C to me. Um, it feels very much like something that was a kind of no risk, um, a no risk trade for the Canadians. Like they don't, they, if it doesn't work out with Gurionov, fine. It's not the end of the world. Remember, like the, the a lot with with a lot of the trades that Kent Hughes does, the act of the trade was the goal. You know, with this one, the, with 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 trading Weber, the the goal was to trade Weber's contract. It wasn't necessarily what was coming back. So anything else we get out of this is just magic beans. The same thing can be said for the Monaghan trade. The, the the aspect of the Monaghan trade that was a, an add to the Canadians was them taking on the contract for the first round pick. Yeah, Montreal could have handled it better as far as his injury and maybe maybe gotten something for him at the deadline. We'll get into that in a second, but that was never, you know, the crux of that trade. So it feels like a C. If Gurionov plays well, this might move up. Like if he's a a consistent third line kind of player for the Montreal Canadiens for a long time, I bet it moves up. If not, it might be able to move down, but I don't know how far it should move down considering the Canadians were already buying really low on Gurionov. Ultimately, really low stakes trade with the Canadians. There's a chance it produces an effective third line player. Otherwise, it just got rid of um the, the long-term injured reserve cap hit of their former captain, Shea Weber. So I think that's that's good there. We'll stop about that trade because as I'm as I'm doing this, more trades are just coming flying in. It looks like the uh, the Predators are about to trade Ekholm to the Oilers, so that's really fun. Um, but we'll get to the injury updates because I think, I think for the time being, the injury updates are replacing um, the building blocks and drawing boards segment. Because this is just what we have to talk about every week. Um, it just they, The Canadians have set another record with man games lost. I think the second closest team is the Rangers. And if the Canadians were to stop playing now and they would stop counting all of the, the man games lost, the Rangers would need like 618 games or something to catch if I read that, that, that stat correctly. So the, the Canadians made a release immediately after the Senators game. It gave us some information on, on a lot of these guys. Um, Arbor Jacki had it will have season-ending shoulder surgery in Denver, Colorado. They gave us the name of the surgeon. Um, it verifies what we had all kind of expected after seeing him get hurt in that fight. It really felt like that was the season for him. Um, so they're being forthright about that, which is great. Um Yoel Armia won't travel to California with the Canadians. He's day-to-day with an upper respiratory infection. Um, the awful, terrible, no good, very bad season for Armia continues. He cannot catch a break. I don't think he was a tradable asset this season anyway, but this this absolutely drives that point home. He's not going anywhere. 
Um, Joel Edmondson will travel with the team to California. This is uh, obviously out of date because he practiced on Monday and Tuesday with the Canadians in a contact jersey. It looked like he was going to play against the Sharks on Tuesday night. After practice, they said they're going to give him some more time. Effectively, it seems like anyway, getting rid of any kind of trade potential that Edmondson might have. Um, And Kirby Doc is not on this California trip. He's out indefinitely with a lower body injury. A reminder on this one, it went from illness to illness that was caused by a lower body injury to now just a lower body injury. If he's out for the year, um, they've said he's out indefinitely. Like I said, if he's out for the year, it gives Montreal cap space to facilitate other teams' deadline moves should they choose to to go down that route. They are slowly running out of... um, I shouldn't even say slowly. They're very quickly running out of options as far as that goes. Um, And, you know, the Kirby Doc one is kind of challenging because it, it seemed very obvious watching him you know over the last the last couple games that he played that he was playing hurt and they just didn't have any other options um to think that they might have exacerbated an injury and kept him out longer is frustrating and it's very much on par with what the Canadians have done for years um the same can be said for Sean Monahan who they have not released any kind of update on I don't know if it doesn't seem like there's any chance he gets traded at the deadline. Um, and he has not, he has not practiced. I think he's traveling with the team, but who knows? Um, so things are still pretty crappy for the Canadians on the injury front. Perhaps Edmondson is coming back soon. Um, but you know that if he's not playing against the sharks, if he plays against the Kings on Thursday, that's the last game before the trade deadline. You know, seeing him practice in San Jose might be a good sign, but I doubt it's enough for a team to make a move and, and acquire a player who has another year on, on his deal. Um, but under more positive news, Caden Gooley returns tonight in San, in San Jose. The Habs practice lines had him skating with David Savard on the top pair. Um, it'll be nice to see him get back into the swing of things. It's been a long time since we've seen him play. He made quite an impression at the beginning of the season. Since the All-Star break, I've noted that the Canadians have had their defensemen play a far more active style than we saw at the beginning of the year. They're jumping up in the rush, and they're becoming a larger factor offensively. Um, I wonder how Gooley factors into all that. It'll be interesting to see how he slots in. I'm sure he's not going to be you know, 100% up to speed the second he takes the ice against the Sharks, but um, you know, it'll be nice to see him play again. So with Gooley coming back... Let's move our focus to who may or may not be on the way out of the out of Montreal in uh, at at this year's deadline. So, the Canadians have already made one move that to Donoff trade. Um, some of the big pieces are already accounted for. Timo Meyer is a Devil in a thirteen player deal that heavily favors the Devils. Patrick Kane is going to be a Ranger eventually. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's been announced yet. Um, the Rangers just made a small trade with the Nashville Predators to add a contract for some reason. I don't really know what's going on there. Um, Ryan O'Reilly is a Maple Leaf. So is almost every other defenseman on the market because they just traded. Um, I think they've made four or five trades today. Um, Ekholm looks like he's on his way to Edmonton. So there's a lot of parts that are already moving. Montreal, you know, it's, it's, it seems like there are, there are a lot of sellers this year. Um, just because of how, top heavy the east is and what the prize is for being bad i feel like there are more sellers making this a buyer's market so 
the Canadians are missing out on a deadline that like I just don't I don't think that there was much here for them anyway. Like if Monaghan was healthy, like how much is he getting at this deadline? I really don't know. Edmondson too. Um perhaps one area Montreal could exploit is teams who missed out on big targets. Um we know Carolina and Vegas were in on Timo Meyer. You know, could they put together that Godfather offer that that Anderson for Anderson that Hughes is allegedly waiting for? They both have the cap space for him, I think, although that might be out of date with the Hurricanes getting Yessi Pugliarvi. Um, I feel like the chances of that are low, but Tom Dundon, the owner of the Hurricanes, said the Canes are going to be aggressive at this deadline, and I don't think Jesse Pugliarvi is is that aggressive ad that they would need at the deadline. Outside of that very unexpected occurrence where they get that offer for Josh Anderson that they need to make a move on, I, I don't think the Canadians have much cooking in the way of big names or even small names um, headed into Friday's deadline. Nobody wants to trade for guys like Druin or Hoffman. Hoffman has a year left, and Druin, you know, I just, he hasn't scored a goal in forever. I know he hasn't played a ton, and that's not his game anyway, but, you know, there's, there's, it doesn't seem like there's much there for him. Um, their big trade pieces in Monaghan and Edmonton have been hurt as we've, we've all been, you know, very aware of, um, I don't know like what the, what the mentality is behind Monaghan and, and them, um, not really providing anything as far as updates for him. Um, there's this idea that you're trying to keep it as unclear as possible for other teams, but you'd have to think that any acquiring team would know exactly what's going on. Um, as far as, you know, a trade goes, and that, that Matthias Eckholm trade is um, being made official now. It looks like it's uh, Eckholm and something else going to uh, Edmonton, Tyson Berry in a first, and some other parts going back to uh, to uh, Nashville. So that's a big trade for the Predators. Um, with Monaghan, like, if he was healthy, we're talking about a player who has you know, 17 points in 25 games. But the problem is he's not healthy and he's only played 25 games this year. Um, the concern with him has always been his health. And I think the only way that a team would have felt good about dealing for him is if he was healthy the entire way, which he just hasn't been. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality that, that Monaghan finds himself in. Um, like I said earlier, Montreal already got what they wanted out of that Monaghan trade, which is the first round pick from Calgary. But it's really hard to look at this and, and say that they handled it effectively, not because he got injured, but the fact that he at least seemingly played like three or four games on that injured lower body. It was such a it's such a silly thing for the Canadians to be risking further injury from, you know, in a season that doesn't mean anything like, you know, it's always silly. You shouldn't be playing guys that hurt where it's like going to ruin the rest of their year ever. But it's even sillier in a season where like you're you're just you're trying to go for the basement. Edmondson, like I've said, is practicing again, which is good. He should play Tuesday. Or he's not going to play Tuesday against the Sharks. He might be back on Thursday against the Kings. Um, Darren Dreger said on, I believe it was Monday, that the Canadians and Oilers were working on a Joel Edmondson trade. But the Oilers are apparently also, you know, grabbing Ekholm at the moment. They were also in on Gavrikov. They were also in on Chikrin. So it seems like they were just in on every defenseman. And it, it seems like they've got the one they wanted. They got Ekholm. They, I doubt they'll have 
uh, a ton of you know cap space to make another move if they wanted to. Maybe they want a third pairing guy like Edmondson, but I kind of doubt it at this point. I I I thought for a long time that any kind of Edmondson to the Oilers trade centered around Puljujarvi coming out. So seeing him come out today. I kind of figured, well, maybe this means Edmondson is on the way, was not the case. And the reason why I linked those is that Puyarvi very obviously wanted out, and their salaries are very similar, um, Puyarvi and Edmondson. So when it comes to these two, I think any trade would be surprising. Um, with Edmondson, I'm not even sure that it's that they want to keep him or that they didn't like the market for him or that he was hurt and no one would budge. Or some combination of those factors. It's just it seems very unlikely that they move him because of his health status. Unfortunately, um, this deadline as a whole, I'm entering with really, really low expectations. That's, you know, I, I just I don't think that there's a lot of maneuverability for the Canadians. It's fun on Twitter to, you know, post the meme of the guy poking the logo with the six saying do something. I just don't I don't see it. I don't see. I don't see them getting involved in this market. It's it's the East is an arms race. Like I think that I think there are some teams that maybe will feel like they've missed out. I think the Hurricanes are 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 a prime opportunity to possibly sell a piece to because they've absolutely missed out. They haven't made any significant addition other than Puliarvi, who I don't think is a, a significant addition at this point. He may be in the future, but he isn't now. The good news is. I'll try to end on the positive. Um, if they don't get deals on Hoffman and Edmondson, um, they can run it back because they're both under contract next year and next year are their pure rental seasons. Um, you know, if Hoffman has a has a resurgence next season, if Edmondson's healthy and plays a lot of minutes, those are guys who can get you stuff at that deadline. You can add Rem Pitlick to that list too. He's a UFA at the end of next season. And his cap hits only $1.1 million. So if I'm the Canadians, you're probably holding your retained salary transactions for those three players. Because you're you're likely trying to eat as much of those um, dollars as you can to move them and maximize the return on them next year. Um, but next year could be a pretty, a pretty good trade deadline for Montreal. The, the stuff that we're seeing in this year's trade deadline, I don't like it's it's it's. I don't really know how to how to process all of the trades that have gone on today on Tuesday, and we've still got time before the deadline, and some teams still haven't made any moves. Um, so it's possible that Montreal makes a surprise. Ken Hughes always seems to have a trick up his sleeve. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I would brace yourself for a pretty dull deadline um, on Friday with with the possibility for more exciting things to come in 2024. And I think that's the show this week, um, because I'll try to get this up as fast as possible so it's not out of date immediately, but it's going to be, and that's okay. You just have to uh, deal with that. I hope I'm wrong about the deadline, and we have a bunch to talk about next week, but I'm sure we'll manage even if there isn't a ton of action to be had. Um, a few shout-outs before I go. Uh, Locked on Canadians had me co-host with Laura Saba on Monday and Tuesday, as Scott is on a well-deserved vacation. Um, so check out those episodes um, either in the same podcasting app that you're using right now or on YouTube if you want to um, see us. And speaking of seeing me, I'll be on Game Over Montreal after the Canadiens-Ducks game on Friday night. That's a late one, but we'll have the trade deadline wrapping up to talk about, so it should be fun. 
Um, as always, thanks for listening to this show and, and anywhere else I pop up. It's uh, It means a lot that you guys support not only this show, but me as a content creator. Um, so thanks for listening. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mug. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page uh, where you can find the rest of his stuff. All right, guys. See ya. Bye.